0: everyone welcome to today's episode of the 21 and sensory podcast with me emily i have special guest sarah gibbs sarah is a uk-based comedy writer graduate of the national film and television schools writing and producing comedy course and also a prolific tweeter her credits include dead ringers the news quiz the daily mash college humor the now show the mash report and have i got news for you So she clearly has a lot going on. Sarah was recently diagnosed as autistic and has a new book out called Drama Queen, One Autistic Woman and a Life of Unhelpful Labels, which is described as a memoir of a woman's life that didn't make a lot of sense until she was a third of the way through it so we are clearly going to have so much to chat about um, so would you like to say hi <laughs> hello thank you so much for having me no worries I realise that I always do like very lengthy introductions and then like the person can't really introduce himself <laughs> so I've like said everything
1: It's <laughs> very autistic just, you're waiting for your moment to introduce it. like, uh,
0: uh, like yeah. uh, by the way I'm Sarah <laughs> <laughs> hi I'm <here. laughs> so yeah thank you so much for coming on it's really kind of you to have said yes and And yeah, I thought maybe we could start off with like discussing your diagnosis of autism. I always find it fascinating to understand people's kind of process and the timeline from kind of thinking they might be autistic to actually getting a diagnosis. So would you like to kind of explain where that sort of started? Yeah. Um,
1: so I have a cousin who, um, she is, I, I believe she is self-diagnosed, but I don't, um, I don't know if she is definitely autistic or not. She, you know, um, she she suspects she might be at this point and um she also has an autistic son mm-hmm. um and she um we didn't grow up together so I didn't know her very well but uh, later in in our lives later we're not 80 but you know we started getting to know each other um and I went to her son's birthday party I think back in 2016 mm-hmm. and um afterwards she sent me a message and she said I, I really hope you don't mind but you know I think you might have Asperger's and I was like i I don't really know what that is. Um, but um, I, I all I really knew about autism was sort of Rain Man. Um, and um, and I thought that being autistic meant you were really good at maths or, you know, robotic or unemotional, all those things that are these, you know, I guess media autism stereotypes. And so I just sort of dismissed it out of hand. I was like, ha no, I don't have that. And then... Um, And then I sort of thought, well, she must be a bit weird. (laughs) Um, And that was that. And then then I saw her again at a family party. And this time, a few days earlier, a really close friend of mine had been watching a Chris Packham documentary about autism and had said, you know, a lot of what he describes is kind of like how you describe how you experience the world it's, it's weird I think have you ever looked into whether or not you have Asperger's that's what people were saying at the time okay. and I was like oh for goodness sake I do not have Asperger's <laughs> uh, like why does everyone keep saying this it was you know um, and then I bumped into this cousin a few days later just out of you know um, just out of coincidence at a family party and she um, watched me sort of stimming tapping my nails on the table and squinting in the light and I had this very bright yellow floral dress on when everyone else was dressed really (laughs) chic and classy and um and she just said you know you're autistic right and I was like oh this again look no I'm not because I can talk to people and I can make friends and I have loads of empathy and I'm really rubbish at maths and she was like yeah that's movie autism Mm -hmm. and she says sat me down explained to me how autism can present in girls and women. And I was half listening because I was like, I don't like this. I don't like being diagnosed at the dinner table. Yeah. Um, and um, and I you know, there's a lot of internalized ableism and a lot of stigma still. And in my mind, she was insulting me. I was like, What what does she mean? Like she's saying that I can't feel love. What does she, like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and she just said, Look, please let me just send you a checklist. Okay. And it's Tanya Marshall's checklist of again now outdated terminology but young girls with aspergers and women with aspergers and see if it just makes any sense to you okay. um and so i thought well, i'll read it if it gets her off my bag and so <laughs> i read it and i was like oh no oh this is like this is spooky this is like someone's followed me around and has written up a profile specifically about me not about like a condition or something but this is like this is eerie it's like someone followed me around from childhood until now making notes um and then i took the aspie quiz online and i um scored quite highly with a very um neat little seashelled shaped graph that I was very pleased with because it was symmetrical, um, which I think tells you a lot in itself. Yeah. Um, and I was one of those people who are so incredibly privileged and lucky because I know how hard it is to get a diagnosis. But um, my husband has work health insurance, which extends to me. And they, um, they they weren't supposed to say yes, um, but they did. Um, someone accidentally said yes to me and they tried to take it back. And my husband was like, no, you, t- you promised her. Yeah. Um, so they said yes to one diagnostic appointment and I managed to get my diagnosis just a month later. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great.
0: That's really nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> nice that you didn't like, after having all those people, like almost like battering you to be like, I think you are this to then not have to wait long that might have been mm. like even more difficult to be like am i yeah and i appreciate a very rare and lucky but then it's it's re- it's nice to hear that for once that someone hasn't had to wait and that you could make you know if if you have health insurance like use it kind of thing like mm. as a perfect example of it and it's, it's really interesting to hear that it wasn't something that you had picked up on or even like your other half like it was other people like slightly removed from you in terms of like being close relatives and stuff and that that must have been like really hard to hear like people trying to almost label you and you hadn't really come across it before I think because I didn't know what it
1: was I think if I didn't well if I'd known what autism was I would have known I was autistic straight away but mm-hmm. I I think, <laughs> I had masked so hard, especially with my social difficulties. And there'd been so many times when things had gone really wrong in my life and I would go into a state of sort of denial about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I was fighting really hard to be seen a certain way. I wanted people to see me as competent and, and socially adept. I didn't want, you know, I felt like I'd left behind that childhood self that couldn't make friends or if they made friends, couldn't keep them or, you know, the, the teenage self that, that you know, got called inappropriate all the time and, you know, got got excluded from things and, and the young adult self who got um who got fired not fired, but I I would say constructively dismissed or at um at the very least um you know um my probation was extended and i was very much shamed out of my job my first job and that was a horrific experience and so i had worked so hard going no no no, this time like i've had this fresh start in comedy and i'm doing well and people have limited exposure to me so they don't have time to find out i'm broken or whatever's wrong with me is wrong with me and like i'm hiding it so well and i felt like someone had like found out that i was that i wasn't Doing the social thing the way that I was supposed to be doing it. Mm. And I was like, how do they know? I've been like, what's the point? I've been working so hard to hide it. So my first reaction was just sort of shame like, oh, great, I've been found out again.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really difficult. Like, because I know, I know how, like, how much effort masking is and how like hard it is to like keep up that front constantly, especially like social stuff and like social occasions. Like, you know, you're trying so hard and it, it, it just the way you're saying, like I was kind of found out, like I totally relate to that. Like mm. as soon as people kind of suggest something, you, you feel like they've sort of found you out somehow and they're trying to kind of push you into kind of a corner of this sort of like label. But have you found like, in a way, like some stuff from kind of like your past has like fallen into place in terms of like how you were and like how you behaved and stuff like that. Like, have you found that like since having the diagnosis, you've been like, ah, oh, that's why I do this and stuff? Everything,
1: everything fell into place when I got my diagnosis, just Mm -hmm. everything I've ever done or thought or felt or said or got wrong or got right. Just, you know, it's the, I say, you know, often it's a blueprint for who I am. So Mm. there's no, in my mind, separating me and, you know, my autism, as people put it. Um, It's just, everything has to make sense through this lens because that's, that's who I am um -hmm. so yeah it was the first I mean even now there are still moments where I go oh (laughs) um that's why I did that thing I mean all you know like all moments are like that but you know uh, specific memories where I'm like how did I not know um Mm -hmm. but yeah the first year and a half was just like this frenzy of re-examining my life from this completely different perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a bit like um, watching a TV show where they leave little Easter eggs throughout, you know? Yeah. Um, And um, like a a comedy show, like Arrested Development, that's very famous for leaving, like, little clues as to things that are going to happen in future episodes. And when you Mm -hmm. re-watch it, you find them. Um, And I sort of felt like I was re-watching and finding all the Easter eggs.
0: Okay. That's such a good way of putting it. Like, (laughs) like just you know, all these little things that you didn't realise just like popping up and being like, oh, we were here all the time. <laughs> it's frustrating. I totally get that. But it's hard to be told by other people that you're something when mm. you don't see it yourself. So it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. And I always find it really fascinating to hear how people come across or like stumble across the whole waters and thing. And you're right in saying that there's this like portrayal in the movies of how it is and kind of male sort of side of it. And I totally get that that would have been your only impression of it before you kind of read about it. And, you know, like people told you about how it kind of presents in women and stuff like that. And I think really that kind of has to change for us to kind of see it more in women and for us not to be so late diagnosed. <laughs>
1: totally. And also that's why I'm patient with people who don't know anything about autism or who say things that to a trained ear sound horribly ableist, but like mm-hmm. you only know what you know. And I th- I don't think it's helpful, especially especially for newly diagnosed autistic people mm-hmm. um, or people who think they might be autistic, um, that the second they enter the community and say a wrong thing. I mean, that happened to me. Um, I, when I first, I was so excited when I was first diagnosed, mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was talk about it. Yeah. And the way I talk about things is I write about them. And I guess, cause I had a little bit of a platform already. Um, you know, I wasn't, I'm not by any means, and I'm certainly not now famous, but I had, I had a small following on Twitter and, um, I had, you know, some credits on TV shows. And so Mm. I, you know, I had access to writing in public and that's obviously a dangerous thing when you're not, you're not quite immersed in the community for a long enough time. Mm. And I thought it had been a long enough time because it'd been a few months and I thought I'd read everything there was to read and I was so wrong. And I remember the first thing I did was say I was high functioning (laughs) (laughs) obviously I I now don't think of autism in those terms you know I think I think if people are listening to this they're probably quite familiar with autistic stuff but you know if anyone is listening and they're not um there's a move away and I certainly feel this way from the linear model of thinking about autism as a spectrum of you know mild to severe Mm -hmm. um I think it's much more um I guess apt to say it's it's like a spiky ball with the spikes being different lengths for different people or Mm. uh, or a visual slider with the sliders being turned up to different things we all have maybe the same set of traits but we experience them to different degrees when I first got diagnosed I had this sort of imposter syndrome-y feeling about my diagnosis anyway because you know my whole life I've been working so hard to hide my difficulties Mm. and People really thought on the surface of things that I was incredibly capable, you know, hardworking, and I am in many ways. You know, mm. obviously, like I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I wasn't, but I think I needed people to see me a certain way. And then the diagnosis, I was like, oh, I don't have to hide this anymore. Yeah. Well, am I going to hide it? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I started trying out telling people I was autistic. And one of the first people I told, burst into tears and said, you know, my relative is really severely autistic and he's never going to be able to live independently and what you're saying offends me. And right. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm appropriating this term that's meant for someone else. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Obviously, I'll call myself high functioning from now on. I'll qualify it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." And you know, when you're autistic and you're used to a lifetime of people telling yeah. you that what you said is inappropriate or wrong or bad, you're trying really hard to please everyone. So mm-hmm. I was like, "Right, well, obviously, I meant to call myself high functioning, and that's what my doctors have called me, and that's what seems mm-hmm. to be the right medical term." And so I went straight out of the gate, wrote a piece. In a, in a very public forum, calling myself high functioning, and the first response was, "Wow, ableist much?" And I was like, "What? What? What do you mean? How can oh, I be ableist? I am the thing. I don't understand." Yeah. Um, and then obviously, like then, it, nicer people explained it to me a little more gently. And obviously, it's not ni- like that person wasn't nice. I'm sure that they were just fed up of you know years and years and years of people just getting it wrong. And I understand that, but. I think my own experiences have taught me to be a little bit more patient with people who are just new to the language, new to the community, and just need to be gently told, actually, you know, we prefer to speak in terms of support needs rather than functioning labels, and this is why. Um, And usually it makes sense to people. uh, And I guess if they still insist on the functioning labels after that, then maybe we got a bit of a problem. But Mm. most people just don't know.
0: Yeah exactly that's the thing like most people just don't know and especially if you're new to the community like you were like this is the thing that I always say like after your diagnosis like you're, you're very new to the whole autism thing but actually in a way you're not because you've always been autistic and you've lived your life as an autistic person and you have that kind of life experience of like you said like masking and stuff like that so you've always been autistic but you just didn't know and you're new to it in a sense of trying to understand your own kind of autism. And like you said, other people, like, yeah, there's people who, you know, I get what you're saying, like they're more severe or like, you know, less capable of living independently and stuff like that. And it's difficult because everyone with autism is very different and no one is the same. And, you know, for that person to compare you to, you know, someone who is, It's it's difficult. It's I don't know how to say it without like this is the thing like without saying it in terms of like a spectrum or like mild to severe and stuff. So I get what you're saying about you know being picked up on things because sometimes it's really hard to describe it without you know offending someone or something or a movement. So I totally appreciate that. It must have been very kind of I don't know scary to write about it, but it's important to write about it and to be corrected and like you say to. You know, hopefully, encounter some nicer people who can say, actually, I think you've got that bit wrong, and to take that on board. Like, you know, you're mm. learning, everyone's learning. <laughs> totally. I think, um you know,
1: it is really hard because I don't want to tone police anyone. And like, mm-hmm. I know that there are really malicious interests out there who are, you know, they're not just learning, they're, they're, deliberately being unkind or Mm. uh, you know disrespectful and that's a totally different thing and and I think that people who've come across that a lot you know they have every right to feel jumpy about it but you know I think I think we, the internet doesn't help, and I think it's with all marginalized groups and all groups in general. You get into your group and you get into this language, and you forget that being new can be scary and bewildering, and especially when you're autistic and you spent your whole life feeling that social rejection. Imagine you're like, oh, finally, I found my people, and they're yeah. like, no, you, you've got it wrong. Get out of here. Mm.
0: Oh, that's really difficult, especially because, like you say, you have like this following already, and you, you want to you want to share that this is something you've found out and it's important to you and I, I just appreciate yeah. the fact that you're you were open about it and it's great to see like more women not like coming like I heard someone say like they were coming out like like yeah, autistic yeah. <laughs> coming out and uh, to see like a professional like women and see that they are where they are, and they're autistic, yeah, and you know i
1: I think it's interesting that we talk about like living independently earlier because mm. I think what was confusing for me at the time was like I was saying I was high functioning for the benefit of the people who said, "Oh, you're nothing like my relative, and mm. actually. I couldn't live independently my my husband is my carer I have a chronic mm. pain condition alongside being autistic and obviously being autistic means that you either feel pain in a very extreme way or you don't feel it at all often mm-hmm. like that there, there, there seems to be two extremes um in the way that people experience pain when they're autistic and for me i experience pain in a really extreme way um, minor pain and discomfort i can't ignore it at all mm-hmm. um and so i have this chronic pain condition fibromyalgia and also i have uh, i'm insulin resistant so um you know when i have a blood sugar drop or a pain flare-up i can't do anything for myself at all um okay. and my husband pretty much does all my life stuff he makes all my meals. He works from home. He looks after me, um, and you know he does all the housework. It's like a nineteen fifties housewife like, in terms of, you know, this is the labour that women have been doing for men to allow them to succeed for centuries. But um, you know, he does that labour for me, and I couldn't, I couldn't live independently at this stage and so it is weird for people to complain, oh you talk so you're high functioning it's like well I don't know what that means because obviously my support needs are relatively high they're not high like I don't need someone to dress me and I don't need you know Mm -hmm. like I can I can go places by myself and things but they you know in terms of my day-to-day living my support needs are mixed and relatively high Mm -hmm.
0: I think people don't realise that. Like from the internet, they get this this side of you that's like, "Oh yeah, you can, you know, you can function, you can talk, you are successful, you know, within your industry and stuff like that." And actually, they don't realise that without you saying that, you know, that actually you do like rely on someone else and someone else does care for you. That actually, people don't people don't realise you don't get the full picture from the internet. You, you're never going to understand someone's complete life from you know like a few tweets or like you know some posts on instagram like i don't know people get a picture of you from that i think and that can be dangerous <laughs> it is a bit dangerous you know i saw i know i'm not
1: supposed to name search but i did because <laughs> it was like the day after my book got released and i wanted to see everything everyone was saying you know just mm-hmm. i'm human and curiosity got the better of me and i know it's not a cool thing to do <laughs> and i know you're supposed to pretend that you don't read reviews and you don't care but i do read i read every yeah. single one yeah um because I like knowing what's going on. I'd rather know than not know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's always this fear that what if someone says something really unfair or, or you know, libelous about me and I haven't, I'm not across it. And like, so I, the, the control freak in me needs to read them. And mm-hmm. I did see people having a discussion about me um, and they were basically saying that it was after a piece came out about me and two other authors who have books out, um, autistic authors, uh, mm-hmm. so, um, I will shout them out now because this seems like a good moment. So Joanne Lindberg has written Letters to My Weird Sisters and Eric, uh, Garcia, who has written, um, a book called We're Not Broken. He's an American journalist. And so mm-hmm. I was in the Guardian with them on this sort of um feature about all of our books and it was lovely and exciting and that you know the feature used functioning labels which was unfortunate because i did spend a long time explaining why you don't why they're not helpful but you know um sort of surrounding the quotes about why i was saying they're not helpful it was like and sarah is high functioning i was like no no (laughs) no but i think that got a few backs up and that wasn't nice um because that was beyond my control um and then i saw people having a discussion saying You know, another just another piece about successful autistic people. They don't care about the rest of us. They don't care how hard life is for us and how lots of us are unemployed. And I just felt horrific. I felt like, oh, am I taking up space? Like, should I not have? You know, because obviously when you're promoting a book, you are going to take all the publicity you can get. Of course yeah. you are. Like, you know, you're human and you've mm-hmm. written a book and you, you know, you have publishers relying on you for an yeah. income and a team and people working on it. And you don't want to let people down and mm-hmm. you want your book to do well. So I, I did the interviews and suddenly was going, was that wrong of me should i be turning these down and saying you need to be talking to other people you need to be should i have signposted other things more or should i have done more and and i felt and then so when these stayed first felt guilty and awful and burny and terrible mm. um and then i felt a bit angry because it's like these people don't know my life or how much i've struggled to get here yeah. you know I, felt, I i sort of felt indignant i was like i wrote this book through enormous chronic pain you know i dictated bits of it in the dark and i Mm -hmm. crawled out of bed on days where i just i could barely open my eyes and i wrote my thousand words and i crawled back to bed and you know it was it it wasn't i think they they see maybe some of my tweets or um you know nice headshots that have been done by a photographer and they don't see the the Day and a half of sobbing in bed after the headshots because I was just so overwhelmed, yeah. or, um, or any of what went into making this successful, um, you know, on the on the outside, making it look successful. Mm. Uh, so it's frustrating because you sort of f- feel like, oh, I need to perform my struggles. I need to show everyone, and yeah. going,
0: actually, I don't have. I shouldn't have to. Like no. people should just take my word for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just because you're seen to be coping on the outside doesn't mean that you know at home or on the inside or you know your mental health and stuff like that isn't being affected and it's actually like kind of I don't know like nice to hear that you know after having your headshots done you know it wasn't something you could cope with and you had to like go and like process it and get upset about it to kind of move on because that's something that I can really relate to as an autistic person is you know it's not it's not easy to go out into the world do a thing and then you know come back to your own environment and feel okay about it like it's hard to process these things sometimes and that's what people aren't seeing and I always find that really frustrating because you know if you're seen to be doing well you can't possibly not be coping like like, why, why is that a thing? <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, I do think sometimes about posting, you know, the aftermath. And then mm-hmm. I think that doesn't feel fair to like the wonderful photographer and hair and makeup person who came here and did such a great job. I do think about it. And then I think, I just worry that people that I work with will interpret that as me not having enjoyed working with them or, you know, that they'll feel guilty in some way that they might have overwhelmed me. Um, and obviously, that's the last thing I want is for people to feel like they've. Um, the, yeah, it's the last people I want is for. The last thing I want is for people to feel like they've upset me in some way, or that they've been responsible. So, yeah, it is a it's a balancing act, and also, you know, I don't want to have to post my trauma,
0: or my most vulnerable moments, for people to understand me you know a lot of it is quite personal and quite private and like you say like you don't want to offend anyone or you don't want people to like read into your stuff and like apply it to themselves like if you've spent you know the day with them or something like you're saying like your colleagues and stuff like it's really difficult because there's a like a fine line between like talking about stuff and like people taking it the wrong way kind of thing and actually sometimes you just want to share bits of your life and not you know have people take it like as you know them. I don't know you just don't want people to be offended by things (laughs) and I've had that as well it's it's definitely like scary Mm, absolutely so I was going to ask you like what like about your book and what was kind of the process between kind of getting your diagnosis and then deciding that actually like you wanted to write a book like what was the kind of like time frame but also what was like your sort of your sort of process
1: uh I think the first year and a half after my diagnosis I went into this I, I I like a cocoon phase like I just isolated myself from the rest of the world I just stopped I I quit my business um um because I just felt like I I was having a breakdown of my identity right after my diagnosis. You know, there was was some euphoria and then there was, well, who am I then? Am I just a walking checklist? And does this mean that I have always been getting things wrong my whole life? And does that mean that I'm always the one who's wrong in social situations? And what does this mean for me? And I stopped trusting myself and I stopped trusting my relationships and my perception of my friendships and everything. And I just... I just withdrew from everyone and everything. I stopped seeing people. You know, I stopped communicating with people and I just went into this little bubble and I, you know, I was really, I was burnt out and depressed and not really coping. Mm-hmm. Um, and just slowly, slowly, I think there were just people in my life who were just not having it and new people as well. Like this is around that time that I met my narrative comedy writing partner, Simon. I mean, I already knew him a little bit. But I really got to know him in this time period where I was isolated from everyone else because he just sort of made such a big effort with me and kept uh, checking in with me and um, and engaging me in work stuff. And I think my friendship with him and a couple of other people stopped me from falling off the edge of the earth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of rebuilding these friendships and making new friendships with my autistic identity incorporated into that that really brought me back to the world. Um, it was, you know, lots of moments of kindness, like people making a special effort to come and see me or a friend riding several stops out of her way on the tube with me to make sure that I got on the right um, the right connection to get home because she knew I was overwhelmed and um, lots of little things like that. So I started to sort of come back to the world. And around that time, I sort of looked around me and I was like, what's happened to my career? I was still doing rooms and stuff, but nowhere near as much as I was. And I mm-hmm. hadn't been... I hadn't been going for stuff in the same way. I had just sort of shrunk into myself and I started thinking about what I wanted to write now. And around that time I sold my first script, um, which was an autistic comedy, which didn't go anywhere for a variety of boring industry reasons, but um, it was sort of, that was one way of processing everything. Um, And then I remember just feeling like I really wanted to write about autism, um, about my autistic identity. And I wanted to write about it in a way that was funny and accessible. And I started thinking about what I wanted to write. And I really, my initial ideas were sort of a series of personal essays rather than a story about me. Um, mm-hmm. Just like um, the first idea I had was a book called how to be autistic. And then just as I was about to pitch it, someone released a book called how to be autistic. And I was like, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that that happens all the time you just have a great idea and someone else has the same great idea and that's that's that yeah. um and it was suggested to me by a colleague that I was the story and I sort of felt uncomfortable because I was like oh, I don't know I'm you know I'm a writer I'm not a performer I'm very used to being behind the scenes and I like mm-hmm. being behind the scenes I don't I don't really like being front and center or the center of attention it's not yeah I, f- I feel quite uncomfortable with it um but they they said no 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 your story could help a lot of people and i think it's really interesting and engaging because i grew up in like a new age community as well so there's all this other stuff going on Mm -hmm. um and um then very very quickly the idea got pitched to headline which is um uh, my publisher now obviously um and um I met Sarah, who is my editor, and I just she was so enthusiastic about the whole thing and so understanding and compassionate. And I just felt like, oh, this story's gonna be in safe hands. I think she's she's the right person for this story. Um, and I just tried not to think too hard about what it would mean to have all of my most, you know, mm-hmm. vulnerable and embarrassing and private moments be so public and for, you know, potential to hurt my friends and family and all of that I had to just put yeah. that aside and write and be like well that's a problem for tomorrow Sarah um so yeah it was uh it wasn't uh an obvious or intuitive thing but I'm really glad I did it
0: yeah definitely and I think like I've seen so many like good reviews about it and so many people like you know saying how they can kind of relate to it and stuff like that and it must have been really scary like you said to you know kind of like i don't know bare all and kind of put your life out there for others to see because that's again quite a like private and personal thing but um i think it's it's really important that i don't know there's there's more books like that out there and it's it's difficult like what you were saying about you know, someone getting to your idea first and, like, the whole, like, how to be autistic kind of idea. Like, I can totally understand how that, like, would have been a good title and things like that. Yeah, it happens all the time
1: in in writing. It happens all the time that you write you come up with the idea and then it comes out a week later or you know, it's just you just got to have lots of ideas. You can't be the writer with one idea.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting to hear about someone who's gone through that process. And it's really nice that like you had like really supportive like editors and like publishers and stuff like that. Like that's really that's like great to hear that they've been like behind you and really supportive because I appreciate that, you know, I don't know some people might just not get it and not understand the ins and outs of you know all the like complex things that might have gone on um in your life and maybe like the accommodation so that you might like appreciate and stuff like that um did you find that like writing to like you had to like write to a deadline and like oh, you yeah. kind of flexible at all
1: I'm sure they would have been, but I was a month early (laughs) (laughs) delivering. I'm that kind of autistic. Like I, I, I'm the the teacher's pet. I wanted to, I wanted to get it done. I wanted Mm -hmm. to get it done well. Um, um, so yeah, I, I wrote it in small increments, you know, maybe 500 to a thousand words a day, depending on how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most important thing was just to make sure I was writing every day. Um, and that got even harder when the pandemic hit and everything went weird and nobody was working, you know, people were just stopped yeah. um, because it was, it felt apocalyptic. Um, mm-hmm. But, um but actually it was quite good for me because it meant there were no distractions and no going out and then coming home and being exhausted and having mm-hmm. to have a day off the day after it was just like all i had to do was write um so yeah they were they were really flexible about accommodations like you know i recorded my audiobook from home with a producer who i have already worked with on other things and have you know have got a close relationship with and so they let me they let me have that which was you know i know they might have just said no, you have to use our people, but they were really accommodating and flexible about all of that. And mm-hmm. you know, my um my PR person at the publisher is amazing. I say my PR person; she's everyone's PR person. But <laughs> I, I think of her as mine no, because she's so close, like closely working mm-hmm. at the moment. But she's absolutely incredible, and she has just gone into bat for me, like you know, with. TV producers and all these things like, you know, Sarah will be wearing her sunglasses on air or, you know, she's going to have her camera off for this or whatever else I needed at that time. She's been the one and and same with my agent as well. Um, You know, I'm surrounded by really, really, really good people. Um, you know, before big meetings, like my agent will always make sure to check in with me that I know what's gonna happen, that mm-hmm. I'm prepared for who's gonna be on the call. And then, you know, I don't know, we had a really big important meeting a few weeks ago and she just texted me beforehand and said, I've got you and it was like <sighs> oh. You know, like, it's just so nice to be looked after by the people yeah. you work with in that way and for them to understand that you are someone who needs a little bit more looking after than than most people and a little bit more explaining. And for everyone to be so patient and nice to me, it's been mm-hmm. really lovely
0: that's really nice to hear like just that someone else has got your back and you're kind of going into battle with someone else (laughs) and it's not just you on your own and that's great to just like that's all you kind of want is just someone to just like pre-talk to you before a meeting just to like you know just double check you you know what's going on like that would be so helpful in just life in general let alone like you know like book PR and stuff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I came into this
1: meeting and she goes, right, I'm on this Zoom meeting and I'm going to let the others in in a minute. But like, it's just me and you now. Are you okay? Oh. Like, have you got, you know, was, You know, she, she really gets it. My mm-hmm. agent, she's really wonderful and nurturing. And really, I feel very much like she's got my back. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I never have to overly explain or convince her of anything. I'll just tell Mm -hmm. her if I'm, if I'm unhappy with something, she understands immediately why, and she's just there and that's lovely. Um, but you know, luckily I'm not unhappy with things too often. I mean, I, I've been so lucky with my publisher and, um, you know, I have had projects which have been autism related where people sort of, I think in a really well-meaning way, tried to translate the, experience of being autistic to a way that neurotypical people can understand and I think what they don't understand is that there isn't a neurotypical person underneath being hidden by these autistic behaviors that you know there's no way to explain this in a way that's going to be satisfying to neurotypicals because there's not really an explanation it's just we are how we are yeah um but what happened with my publishers was they just I don't want to say they got out my way that's not right you know but my editors really let me tell my story the way i wanted to tell it and the edits were light and they were more like oh you know i think we've got enough anecdotes about this or you know we maybe we only need one analogy or um i'm not sure that this is a universal reference or or things like that so but at no point did they try to edit my experience into something that it wasn't um and i i i know that that should be as it as it should be but it that's often not the case and uh, it was so refreshing and so wonderful to be trusted to tell my story like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's great. Like, it's great to hear that you have been given that kind of room and that, like, I was going to ask you, how have you found like the PR and the surrounding like articles and interviews and stuff like that? Like, I know you mentioned about like being able to wear sunglasses on air. Like, it was so awesome to see that. It's like it's such a like simple accommodation, but it makes such a difference to like, cause I can imagine like the lighting and stuff like that in a studio environment is very like, it's a lot to deal with.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was a lot, but you know, I think it has been overwhelming, but mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining. I think I've had more publicity than I could have ever dreamed of. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know that I am incredibly lucky to have landed with such an efficient and effective PR Mm. and incredibly lucky to have so much interest in the book. Um, So there's no complaints. But as an autistic person, of course... When you're doing several interviews a day for weeks on end, yeah, it, you do start to get a little bit worn out and exhausted. Mm. And there's also the social anxiety afterwards of, oh god, did I say that thing? What, what yeah. did I say? Was it bad? Was it bad? And like, <laughs> you know, when when you think about it in terms of like your regular social anxiety, that's a lot. But when mm. when you throw into the mix that someone is going to you know, a widely listen to this, and um, B maybe reinterpret your words in a way that you didn't quite mean, and that yeah. does happen. You know, you'll talk to like. Everyone I've talked to has been super nice and super well-meaning and, you know, really good. But, like, there have been moments where I've read something and like, oh, i not like, I don't think I said that, or I don't think I meant it like that, or that's been <laughs> taken wildly out of context. And, of course, moments when, uh, you know, maybe newspaper articles have taken the most salacious moments of the book and put them front and centre because yeah. they're the most interesting angle for a newspaper piece, but they remove all the context and nuance. And you're like, oh, are people just going to think, like... Are they just gonna think I'm like I've just said this terrible thing, or you know that without all this surrounding context and build up and explanation that humanizes what what's being said, so there's a lot of anxiety about being misrepresented and not having control over things and which photo are they gonna use and yeah. like um ruminating over stuff you said afterwards, so yeah, it's not. It's not an easy process, but I would rather have it this way around. I think I would have been devastated to release the book to silence. That would have been so yeah. much worse.
0: Yeah, exactly. At least you've got that kind of that like platform within your like your own social media, but also that you have been able to get out there and really kind of push it. You know, across like radio and TV interviews and articles and stuff like that. Like, it is it's the best way to kind of grab people's attention, I think, as well as you know, I, I, I imagine. That you want you want autistic people to read it, but you also want people who aren't autistic to read it to just gain an understanding of your life and how life is for people with autism. So I think it, it's it's great that you've done so much PR. Like I've seen loads of different PR for you, and it's really great and it's like really interesting to hear like what people ask you and i think that's kind of why i wanted to like on my podcast as well to be like (laughs) oh i just want to like quiz her on all these things (laughs) um but like it's really interesting to hear what like people pick out and like you say like news articles picking out maybe like you know quite not like juicy bits of your life but like bits they think are going to be interesting and enticing to people like that must be difficult to think like i don't know people are, are doing that with your with your kind of story but um I guess that that is PR isn't it?
1: <laughs> it is and obviously it's it's tough cuz my dad passed away and so you know I've written about our relationship in quite a lot of detail and there are moments in my childhood where I say I felt afraid of him and those mm-hmm. moments are very much in context of wider things in the book and we had a very loving relationship and I loved my dad very much and so it's hard for me to see you know often in, in most interviews it's it sort of gets distilled out into this, you know, my dad being not monsterized. I think there's still empathy for him, but mm-hmm. it, the context of, of how, why I said those things isn't there. And so I yeah. worry about like, you know, have I, have I tarnished his legacy, his image I, you know, not that he had some big legacy. He wasn't like a famous person or anything, but you know, just that he existed and that, you know, I'm telling the story from my perspective and, um, you know, is this how people are going to remember him because of, because of things being taken out of context, or things being taken, there's a lot of anxiety and the weight of responsibility of that. And also mm. you do as, as an autistic person, and I guess a person, any minority, you end up becoming like a poster girl or like a representative for yeah. your people <laughs> in a way that like, you know, if you are, I guess, a cisgender, straight, white, person you probably aren't like you know able-bodied abled um you probably aren't expected to speak for all white people or whatever but um you know when you have anything you know i'm jewish as well and i find the same thing with my jewish identity is when people expect you they they sort of think of you as a spokesperson they expect you to be all things to mm-hmm. you know all autistic people or all jewish people and it's like no i can only yeah. just be myself and this is just yeah. my story and i don't feel comfortable with people generalizing it to that extent
0: mm-hmm. just the fact that you think that you have to live up to all these like different identities that yeah i can i can understand why you feel that and like you know i think it's only natural to like overthink like what parts are being kind of you know brought brought up in the media and stuff like that so it's really it's really interesting to hear like your experience with it all and I don't know like the pros and cons of you know talking about your own life and publishing a book and stuff like that it's it's just interesting it's Mm. interesting to hear I was going to ask you have you found that you've been able to kind of see things that interest you as like kind of special interests because I know that that's like it's kind of like an autistic kind of term or like thing that's kind of said in the community like do you find like has comedy been like always like a real like passion for you and stuff like that have you have you kind of picked up on that like after your diagnosis at all
1: Yeah, I think I've had quite a few special interests in my life. I have some that have been, you know, consistent throughout my life, like writing, um, and, um, others that come and go like music and singing and, um, you know, some TV shows, <laughs> yeah. the Australian soap opera Neighbors pops to mind. As, uh, it doesn't pop to mind. It's always in my mind, taking nice. up a big portion of my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, if you looked at a, a pie chart of how much of my mind is taken up by the Australian soap opera Neighbors, I think you would be uh, astounded <laughs> and disturbed. Um, but um, yeah, definitely. in comedy, you know, comedy is something that I've loved since, you know, we didn't have a TV growing up. So it was really, um, when uh, in my early teens, we got a TV, I think in my, maybe just, you know, tween years or early teens, I can't remember exactly how old I was. Um, and I just devoured things like the Simpsons and friends. I was like, what is this thing that they're doing? And everyone's laughing and like, uh, and I think I learned what funny was supposed to look like from shows like that, um. And, but I don't think I ever thought of myself as funny. And I don't think I ever thought of myself as someone who could be funny to other people. Um, and so it it was sort of, you know, I hit a bit of a wall in my life in my late twenties where I was like, what am I going to do now? Mm Um, after my dad had died and, Um, the business I was running had sort of fallen by the wayside because I'd been caring for my dad and I didn't really feel like going back to it because it was wedding blogging and I didn't like seeing all the happy brides being walked down the aisle by their dads. It was too much for me. And I just, I tried to go back to it, but I'd I'd lost my, that felt like from my before life and it it didn't feel like it fit me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And my wedding blog was quite twee and it was quite a, you know, um, I guess, like, I don't know how to put it, quite a saccharin industry and you had to have this saccharine image and I didn't feel like that anymore. I felt angry and raw yeah. and I wanted to express myself in a new way and for a couple of years I did some music with a friend um, and we ended up in this youtube band she's she's quite a famous youtuber and she does like special effects makeup and all sorts of stuff and Mm -hmm. she has a wonderful singing voice so we end up in this band for two magical years that were completely bizarre but again it just wasn't quite for me it was just something that i needed to do in -hmm. that moment in my life because music was something i did with my dad and it was my way of processing my grief and then after that came to a sort of a natural end when we'd done the thing and we didn't really want to carry on doing the thing um, I just didn't know what I was going to do next. I found myself in my late twenties and going, "Okay, I'm, I'm nothing. I I don't have a career. I I like we we don't have children and we don't have like what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do now? I don't. I'm not. I I don't have an identity. I don't have anything to do. Um, and um, my husband, who is wonderful, he just said, like, take a month off. Um, just don't think about what you're going to do next. You know, do your Freelance work or whatever, but just take a month off thinking about it, and you will go away on a little trip. And at the end of it, you can like we we'll, we can think about what you might want to do. And it was during that time I started obsessively listening to Tina Fey and Amy Poehler's audiobooks and watching Thirty Rock and Parks and Rec. And I think somewhere in that time, I just brainwashed myself into thinking, yeah, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did. Then I then I found the NFTS, which is the national film and television school. And I found their comedy course. And I thought, I have to get into this course. Like this is my, now my this will change my life. This is my life's mission. And I, I was right. My intuition about it was right. It completely transformed my life and never looked back. That was, comedy was my calling really.
0: That's amazing. That's so cool to hear. Like it's really interesting to hear your journey and like, I'm definitely a big believer of like sometimes you just need to try things out and like do something for a bit to know that you've done it and you've given it a go and you know just like with your singing and stuff like that like it's nice to to have the freedom to try things out and think you know I've done that and like it's nice that you found that kind of goal of I I want to get into this course like I'm gonna do this course like that's nice that's nice to hear that you had like different like kind of like sets of like goals and things you wanted to try. Like I think it's really important to to be creative in life, but also to just give things a chance and. That's, it's interesting to hear of like all oh, your different special interests as well. Like I love that Neighbours is like a thing that really excites you and takes up like a portion of your mind. I totally get what you mean.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I was going to say that I saw that your book is like a number one bestseller on Amazon. That's so cool. Oh,
1: yeah, that was exciting. I mean, it's the Amazon <laughs> chart. It's not the Sunday Times charts, obviously. And it's, you know... Um, Oh, like they're more niche charts than like you know it wasn't global or anything mm. uh, doing that thing where i'm like oh it's nothing i'm nothing i'm trash um <laughs> but um yeah it you know um it's a really strong and exciting start for a debut hardback yeah. um, and um i think you know it's it seems to be selling well and people seem to be enjoying it and recommending it to their friends which is really nice to see and really mm-hmm. engaging with it in a passionate and curious and excited way and that's so lovely as an author when you spend so so much time alone with a piece of work and then mm-hmm. you know it was seeing it out in the world and seeing it in the wild and seeing people seeing people respond to bits of it or relate to bits of it that's that makes everything worthwhile because for the longest time you're like what am I doing this for like it yeah. feels like no one's ever gonna see it and then yeah suddenly it, you know it's like flowers blooming it's all come come alive and it's really it's a really nice little honeymoon period for me I'm enjoying yeah. it a lot
0: oh that's lovely to hear like I can imagine like it's weird because it's something you've been so close to for so long and it's something that's been very personal to you and then you've just kind of let it go out into the wild and <laughs> like just trying to like you said earlier like you, you don't want to search your name but you totally do want to search your name and like see how <laughs> like I'd be the same I'd be totally curious to see what people were saying and like you know, I don't know that's I think that's all you kind of want in life is like just to know like feedback on things that you've you've done and put out there and it's kind of a natural process isn't it to want to know how things are doing totally
1: yeah and um yeah I don't understand authors who say they don't name search or read reviews I mean I understand mm. why for their mental health they might do that but I don't understand how they actually stick to that yeah that seems, that seems like saying like oh I never eat chocolate it's like come on yeah a little exactly. bit. a little bit every now
0: and then <laughs> And I saw because um, I follow you on Twitter um that it, are you launching your own like podcast is that like because you're talking about like different authors yeah so it's going to be a limited
1: series so it's mm-hmm. not going to be an ongoing thing because I just don't have those kind of spoons um and I've already like I've, I've only contacted maybe half my list and realized okay that's a lot of books to read mate like you know you might want to do this in two parts or slow <laughs> down um but yeah it's called Author hour um mm-hmm. but spelled like author but with a an extra U. Um, and I was so proud of that title. I felt so smug because it's an hour long interview with autistic authors. And yes. I was like, Oh, bravo. Sorry, you're <laughs> never gonna come up with anything better than that in your entire life. And then my brain went, Oh, have you accidentally plagiarized that? But mm-hmm. I've looked it up and I can't find anything with that name. So hopefully not. So if you do okay. have a a project called Ort Hour I'm so sorry I'm so sorry it is not on purpose I I honestly do believe in my own like whatever um mm-hmm. moment of genius like, oh what a name yeah well done me but um <laughs> no it's gonna be I think what I really want to do is shine a light specifically on other autistic authors because mm. um I just think that you know we are riding this wave at the moment of interest in autistic own voices, stories. And I think people yeah. want to hear from authors about their own writing process and their own work, and all our works are so different. And I just, I always find myself wanting to ask questions and compare our experiences and chat about the writing process. And I just thought, well, why not do that in a structured way that promotes all of their books and... Yeah. um you know, I'm sure that they don't need my help, but any, I guess every little bit of publicity helps. And I'd like to do my little bit to, yeah, put more autistic
0: art out into the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that will be great. Like, I, I saw you like mention it and I was like, oh, that, you know, it's immediately something that I thought like, oh, that'd be really interesting to hear like you as an author chat to other autistic authors. And like you say, like, compare and contrast, like how, I don't know, how you got into the kind of like publishing world and also your own like experiences living with autism and things like that and kind of like you know comorbid conditions and stuff like that that's something I find like really interesting to chat about and I think it'll be a really interesting podcast I totally get why you want to do it it's like a limited series because podcasting is a commitment <laughs> yeah
1: it really is and I've got so much else on at the moment I think mm-hmm. you know I've got something you know I've got like six projects on desks right now oh wow that are um you know that, that are in consideration for different things and <laughs> I think this is just like I, I might have bitten off a little more than I can chew but I'm going to do it
0: anyway because that's a, a I don't I don't know maybe I hate myself <laughs> <laughs> it's it's difficult to say no though isn't it when you're like really like interested or like passionate in a project I'm like that I'm like say yes to everything and I'm like oh no this is going to take up way too much like mind power but yeah. I'll do it anyway
1: <laughs> I am at a point in my career now where I've had to start saying no and it's really hard because mm-hmm. you know my people pleasing instincts kick in and I want to say yes to everything but I can't say yes to everything and everyone all the time because yeah. I have nothing left um so I have to start being a little bit selective which is not a nice feeling for an
0: autistic person to be like oh i'm sorry i can't help you Mm. it's hard like the thing is i think you've got to you've got to have your own time and your own space and you've got to protect your own mental health and like avoid burnout as much as possible so i'm kind of learning as well that like you, you do you're gonna have to say no at some point and there's only so much like one person can take on whether they're autistic or not. And, you know, having the autism on top of everything else is, you know, makes juggling stuff quite difficult. Um, But it's it's nice to hear that you're also like, you know, you find it hard to say no as well, because I don't know, you just feel like you're disappointing people, but actually, I'm sure they'll understand.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is hard. And especially when it's, you know, I don't know when it's someone who like the worst ones is I get a lot of people contacting me wanting help. Um, they, you know, they've just found out they're autistic or they found out their kids autistic and they want what they what what they need is a counselor. And that sort of service just isn't available yeah. and I'm not qualified to help. I'm not qualified to give advice on how to cope with this process. You know, I can only talk about my own experience, but yeah. like I, you know, I feel a big weight of responsibility, talking to somebody I don't know about like it just doesn't feel appropriate and so I have to say I'm so sorry I can't give you advice on that because I'm not qualified and then I feel Mm -hmm. so mean because like my instinct is to want to help but like I feel like I would be doing more harm than good by pretending to know what I'm talking about about something that really I you know I can only talk about from my own lens Mm
0: -hmm. that is difficult like like you said you're not you're not a professional you are you know obviously someone with lived experience which is you know hugely valuable but you can't you can't help everyone like mm. and that's difficult as you know being someone in the public like you are like people are naturally gonna think you might be able to help them and like you know you're openly talking about these things so it must be really difficult to kind of get that sort of sense of like separation
1: it is hard. And I've, you know, I've recently sort of shut down all my public DMs just because it yeah. got a little bit overwhelming. And it wasn't that I didn't love hearing about people, but I mm-hmm. didn't know how to respond because it was like, I, anything I say is now irresponsible. Like this is, yeah. this is now a, a sort of a safeguarding issue, but it's just an issue of, of ethics. And, yeah. you know, I think that I need to have some boundaries for myself as well. And to have, you know, people be able to like if people want to contact me for work stuff all my agents details are online so I'm not too worried about missing stuff like that like yeah. you know I'm always happy to hear about work opportunities or or things like this like podcasts invitations or anything like that um and I you know I love hearing about people's stories but I can't I can't get into a long intimate back and forth because it feels irresponsible
0: exactly and you 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 just you can't be there for everyone you can't be available all the time and you know, you have your own life to lead at the end of the day. And I'm sure it would take up so much time responding to all these different people. And like you say, there's the kind of ethics and all that around it. So I think, you know, like you said, like shutting down your DMs and stuff like that is probably like for, for the good, you know, and hopefully like things like you know podcasts and stuff that you are doing where you're talking to other people and stuff that's another way people can kind of learn from you so it's not like you're totally like shutting off like (laughs) your like experiences and stuff like that like you're just doing it through different mediums
1: and you know when people contact me in public on twitter i do try to answer wherever i can Mm. um i'm not always able to i don't always have the spoons i'm not i don't see all my notifications either um Mm. because that would just be overwhelming um But, you know, I do try to I do try to be accessible where I can, but I can't always, you know, like you said, I have my own life. And like the other day, I had three separate friends go through crises on the same day. And I felt a responsibility to be there for them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much of me to go around. And yeah, yeah, it is is tough. It is tough because you do want to be there for everyone, but Mm -hmm. you can't, you know, there's only one one of you and also it's arrogant to assume that like oh I'm the only person who can help these people I'm not and I probably can't yeah
0: yeah and like you're saying like a lot of the time you you see that actually you know someone like a counsellor would you know they'd benefit from someone like that rather than you know a back and forth conversation with you kind of thing so Mm. no I think that that's a sensible outlook to have (laughs) (laughs) And where can people follow you online and where can people buy your book, most importantly? (laughs) So I'm on Twitter and Instagram
1: at um, Sarah underscore rose underscore g so that's sarah no h um mm-hmm. underscore rose underscore g and yeah same name across both platforms so i'm more active on twitter and occasionally on instagram um when i remember i've only just figured out how to do stories and i felt very proud of myself and <laughs> like oh music you can put music that's exciting um and you can buy my book at pretty much any good bookstore um, if your independent bookstore doesn't have it you can ask them to order it in I'm sure that they will for you um, people have been so great about that um, and also if you fancy doing a sort of guerrilla marketing tactic and getting your local bookshops to order a bunch of copies, I, I'm not going to discourage that either. <laughs> um, obviously you can get it at places like Amazon and Waterstones and foils and online, and, um, it's available in audio book format and Kindle format. Um, so yeah, I tried to make it as accessible as possible.
0: Amazing. That's so great to hear. Like, I love that you did your own audiobook as well. Like, I always think it's it's lovely when like authors just do their own. <laughs> it's hard to listen to. It's like, oh. I, <laughs> I, I find that as well. Like if I listen back to my voice, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I sound like that. <laughs> oh, you sound great. So oh, thanks. <laughs> it's always just like weird to hear a recorded version of yourself, I find.
1: <laughs> it is it's not how you imagined yourself in your head. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, well, thank you so much for giving up your time to chat to me. It's been really interesting to hear about you and your life and your work and your book as well so thank you so much thank you so
1: much for having me and um yeah this is a lovely podcast and i'm i'm really honored to be on so thank you thanks so much